because I said it, you know, it's, it's, it's not the point. You know, it's, I didn't realise there was a hosepipe ban, and it, the the water wasn't soapy when I when I last saw it, and I, you know, I just I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Hello, and welcome to the uh, Optic Nerds podcast. This particular episode deals with films associated with the power of television. Can you listen with your eyes? I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Your intro was good. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. We're gonna hear like the big old swigs of the beer in this one. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Wicked. You gotta be careful just not to read notes, haven't you? Because it sounds spontaneous. Hello and welcome to <laughs> Optic Nerds Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Optic Nerds Podcast. I'm Mark Finch. As ever, I'm joined by my good friends and colleagues. To my left, Peter Augmented Ariola Auger. Thank you, hello. And to my right, Phil Bloody Big Bollocks Beresford. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I quite like that. I was saying, yeah, I'm yeah. not hearing much disagreement from that side. Of <laughs> so yes, yeah, so as you may have gathered from the um, from the rather silly introduction um, before the music, there we are dealing with three films that deal with the uh, the power of television in in one form or another. Um, we're dealing with a, a we're going to have a film that deals with the power of TV in its sort of infancy. That's uh, Good Night and Good Luck, uh, a film. That I think uh, very satirical take on how TV has, what, you know, what it's become. That's uh, network and TV how it could be in the future. David Cronenberg's Videodrome. But like I said, to start off with, we'll start with uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, George Clooney's take on the uh, Edward R. Murrow battle with uh, McCarthy in the uh, early sixties. Um, was early sixties, wasn't it? Was it the very uh, late fifties? Very late fifties, yeah. um, and that was the CBS channel, I do believe, wasn't it? CBS Network, a broadcasting service. service. Service, yeah. So yeah, like I said, deals with uh, Edward R. Murrow attacking um, McCarthy on his uh, so-called witch hunt trials, uh, where he was, uh, I guess, attacking people for being communists uh, in quite a nefarious fashion. Well, it wasn't just attacking them for. Being communist, it was uh, the insinuation that someone was a communist, wasn't yeah, it? which that's was right. a scary thing. But um, yeah, better dead than red. Yeah, 
That's what they said. Indeed. Let's do the rest of the podcast in rhyme. <laughs> We've got <Have> time. <laughs> or would that be a crime? I uh, fancy a lager and lime. I can't do mime. <laughs> That's a crime. Uh, I used crime. No. Oh, you did, didn't you? You stupid tuna <laughs> trunks in brine. Oh no, this has turned into what's my line. Oh no, I've posted it up. It's not what's my line at all. It's um, catchphrase. What's that thing that Nicholas Parsons does? We're going well off piece. Just a minute. Just a minute. Mm. Yeah. Half a minute, I think it was called. Arthur. Arthur minute. Arthur minute. <laughs> that reminds me of that joke. Um, <laughs> uh, I forget the setup. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not off to, to a great start. <laughs> But it's, uh, and here we have uh, Mr. and Mrs. O-Nuts and the inebriated son, Pistachio Nuts. <laughs> so, um, so Phil, what did you what did you think of Good Night and Good Luck? I'm sorry. I, I, the first time I saw it was a few years back, not long after it had come out. And um, I enjoyed it a lot at the time. I was totally ignorant of um, who Ed Murrow was. And uh, the the facts around his his kind of battle with with McCarthy. So when I watched it this time, I did a little bit of reading and tried to get myself up to speed with the with what had actually happened. Um, and I, and I don't know if it was because of that that I, I enjoyed it less. I think um, okay because one of the things that it's always the case with with biopics really. I think and my first viewing kind of confirms it. I I took away from that that. Um, th- this was what happened, essentially, and although I don't dispute the the the, the facts of of the film in terms of Murrow said these things, he attacked McCarthy in this way, and um, uh, CBS, you know the the inner, the inner, um kind of uh, their paranoia and their fears over what over what Murrow was doing, or their, their kind of um, sensitivity of what Murrow was doing. Um, as it probably was at the time that the one thing that you don't get from the film is that um it, it looks kind of like a, a lone crusade in the film and by all accounts it wasn't really by this point um mccarthy was considered something of a busted flush so um the film makes out uh to a large extent that it was morrow who, who was instrumental in bringing him down and he was well on his way to being brought down by this point anyway mm-hmm. there were a number of journalists who'd already kind of written damning kind of indictments of what he was doing and, and the work of the House American um, the House Committee on Un-American Activities and um, so yeah in, in that respect he was something of a busted flush have I already said busted flush? you have I quite like it I don't want to say busted flush too often the thing about a busted flush is, is that it, it kind of does get this point across, but it, but it is also a very irritating thing. Not you saying busted flush so many times, <laughs> but rather what the connotation of a busted flush could yeah, very well you be. You know what a busted flush is. No, it's the worst thing you could possibly have. Phil, but, um, busted flush. I, 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 I like that less. <laughs> okay. All right, okay. Um, but yeah, so, and um, I think you can see that. What's interesting is once, you, once you're aware of that, you can actually see it in the, in the genuine footage um, of senators attacking and standing up to mm. to McCarthy in the in the latter parts of the film. Mm. Now there's one guy who, um, when they when McCarthy's going after that 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 black woman, you know the um, was she a cleaner? Uh, I think she. No, she worked in the uh, in the code room. 
Right. And when he's going after her and there's no evidence whatsoever, other than the fact that he said, we can't reveal the evidence because it's that sensitive, you know, it's that kind of need to know. Mm. And, and the way this senator attacks him, you can see that, you know, this is a point in McCarthy's career where he's very easily kind of, his reaction is he's, he looks shamed, he looks kind of humiliated to an extent. Um, is that the one where he sort of excused himself as well? No, no, it was just after that. That's after that, okay. Yeah, it, I mean, it was the same part. It was the same, um, I think it was the same case. Yeah. But the, the, the scene was just, just after that. So, uh, it, and, and that kind of, um, being aware of that this is probably an idealised account of, of Murrow and television's role in, in the downfall of McCarthy sort of takes a shine off a little bit I do think it looks great it's got um, I think being such a big fan of Mad Men helps you know it's, it, it kind of <laughs> captures that sort of uh, mise-en-scene ah it's that word again and um, <laughs> again yeah. yeah I think no have, you're thinking of Busted Flood no we had mise-en-scene a while ago I'm sure we did oh, not, not mise-en-scene that's not, what not, you said not in this podcast I said mise-en-scene oh well same thing okay mm. tomatoes tomatoes yeah uh, it, it's full of. I really like David Strathairn in the lead role as well. Although he's kind of fairly impenetrable for mm-hmm. all that, but maybe that's that was Morrow, you know. Um, a lot of the other performances they're, they're kind of nice, but um, I think George Clooney does his um, talking faster than most people normally do while giving vast amounts of exposition shtick <laughs> rather well and you've got uh, he was directing with his face yeah <laughs> Robert Downey Jr so it's good to see him in a film although I think he's a bit wasted in this because I, I don't understand the necessity for the inclusion of the subplot with him and his wife although they have to pretend they, they're, they're not allowed they're not married yeah, well, but like, what was the I don't know to show maybe to show the uh, yeah because I wondered that as well I thought maybe it was to show the you know the, the how the networks are run at that time, sort mm. of outdated. You Bit know, of a human element to the story, perhaps, because it is quite factual. Yeah, maybe. It, it is but I, I, yeah. For me, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, and uh, the guy um, is it Ray? I think it's Ray Wise who plays the newscaster. Yeah. He might as well have been walking around with a fucking hangman's noose around his neck. <laughs> because from the moment he's on screen and, and you know, he's, he's sort of, uh, he lords um, one of Murrow's kind of expo or attacks on McCarthy on, on air. You just know that this guy is going down at some point. And, and there's, there's, there's that scene later on where um, it's a huge cliche, actually, that, that you always get that, a scene in a film of, of this nature where they've made some kind of breakthrough and everyone's there in a group kind of celebrating and you get the phone call that comes through just to one or two and they hear the news what could it possibly be you know at this point in the, if, at this juncture what could it possibly be things are going so well well of course you know what it could possibly be and it s- sticks out like a man walking around with a hangman's noose around his neck <laughs> so um, that kind of irritated me but um, I think it's quite it's an overly worthy film it's, it's very well made it looks good um and it's a time that you know bears. And it's a, it's a time in American history that bears further examination. It's incredibly interesting as well. But in terms of what it's saying about television, and in particular, these people in um, at CBS and their role in bringing down um, McCarthy, I'm not convinced that it's necessarily as as clear cut as, as depicted mm. in this film. It's yeah. it's a little bit of a polemic, really. 
Okay. I, I always got the impression watching it, and I, and I do like this film, but I, I think your points are you know entirely valid. I always got the opinion that the that Morrow's speech, you know, the speech he gives at the, the basically, if you've not seen the film, the film is bookended by a very famous speech that Morrow gave at an award ceremony um, and the, the, the very beginning of the film is the beginning of this award ceremony and the beginning of his speech and the film basically culminates in, in the end of the speech where he talks about um, their journalism's role in what TV should become you know whether it should be a font of knowledge or if it's just going to be turned into a I can't remember his exact words I should do it's a very famous speech and I studied it um, years ago when I studied media but it's basically about how uh, you know TV should it become just a, a box a flickering box of light in the corner of the room you mm. know which is which is what I think TV has pretty much become now um, and the whole, the whole thing I just I get the feeling that the whole film is just kind of really just the sort of lead up to that speech because that's very famous I mean people what, what do you think I mean I, I, you know I'm not saying that's the only reason the film was made but I just get the feeling that it's that climax that it kind of it's not really so much the down the, the fall of McCarthy and their triumph over over that but more to do with what TV is and what it what it should become yeah it's not a coincidence that the um, it's the beginning and the end of the film is that speech yeah. I, no, I didn't know the context a bit like Phil I didn't know an awful lot about uh, Senator McCarthy I mean there's a lot of American history which you kind of do pick up in the UK, certainly from around that time, fifties and sixties, like you know JFK or the the, the Cuban yeah. Missile Crisis, but I didn't know an awful lot about this. But I have to say, I'm actually I am a fan of this kind of subgenre of films, if you like, which is the the, the smart people talking in rooms um, subgenre, yeah. and it's kind of like why I'm into things like uh, West Wing, you know, yeah, and uh, which is another kind of um, sort of Hollywood liberal. Nambi, kind of Pambi. Nambi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, wouldn't it be great if it was like this, really? If yeah. they'd only just give us a chance. If only Martin Sheen was Prez. Um, yeah, it, it is, like you say, quite worthy. Uh, but I, I but I quite like... I think you're skillfully directed. I'm not a massive fan of George Clooney as a director, but he, one thing he did sort of manage to do with this is sort of make a, make a news broadcast a bit like an action scene, you know, fast and snappy yeah. and interesting to look at when I'm sure in reality it's probably pretty bland yeah. uh, so you know it showed that George Clooney has skill as a director and the sort of ensemble cast was really impressive as well I thought Yeah, it's a and, and it pulled off the script uh, so I was a fan of that stuff um, but then don't you think talking about George Clooney making it seem you know exciting don't you think that basically any any TV director does that with you know CSI Miami and, and all those kind of things where they make you know, forensic work, which is actually very dull and takes several weeks to do. It's all people snapping and back it's, and it's forth. All, it's all techno walking, music yeah. and people... <laughs> yeah, but that is a subject in which you can sort of find excitement because it's forensics and it's solving crime. This is we're putting on a news news broadcast, yeah, which, okay. by, which by its nature, it just sounds boring. If uh, I can if I can just, just, to, just to get this in for you, your, to back your, um, illustrate what you were saying earlier, Mark, you were referring to the quote that mm. um, Morrow said, and I found it. And I can do it in a. I can try and do it in a Murrow impersonation if you'd like as <laughs> please, well. Please do. Um, this instrument can teach. It can illuminate. Yes, and it can even inspire. But it can only do so to the extent that humans are determined to use it to those ends. Otherwise, it is merely wires and lights in a box. Good night and good luck, Neil. <laughs> Sorry, that was my Roy Hattersley. <laughs> 
And for anyone born um, uh. post-1990, he doesn't know who Roy Hattersley is. Mm. May, may I suggest picking up... Uh, spitting image. Spitting image. Yes, spitting image series one to three. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in answer to your question, I liked it. I did like it. Because it was interesting. It made the world seem interesting. And the subject was interesting. And the acting was was well done. Like you say, the cast was impressive. It, it, it's not it's not a, a groundbreaker, um, but I, I, I did I did enjoy it. And it's yeah. not you know it's not too overlong. Some of these worthy films, if you like, tend to mm. like to preach their message for like two and a half hours. It's a nice snappy ninety yeah, yeah, minute yeah. film. Yeah, um, it's, it's short and sweet. I mean, I don't think it's overly worthy. You know, I I I, I think compared to something like um, JFK, for example, yeah. which kind of wears its it's halo on its sleeve. Um, it, it's a, just a different kettle of fish. But I do yeah. think it's important that, that um, films that purport to um, depict history um, are kind of just held to account a little bit. And because it's just so easy to watch a film and think, yeah, wow, that, that's the way it happened. That's what happened. Especially Great when part. they're done, as in this case, when they insert footage. Real, real historical footage as well. Yeah, that's true. Of Although, having said that, I must say that we talked about the performances, and no one's mentioned the guy who played McCarthy because he was brilliant. Yeah, he's fantastic. He was very good. Nailed him. Yeah, even the hair. He got the hair just right. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed, like, say, the, the snappy dialogue, the, the, the two of the back and forth, and uh, but uh, what, what did you reckon, Mark? I, I think I think I agree with both of you. I think it's. Um, I think I think it's a sort of ninety-minute snappy, basic account of what was going on at that time. Um, you know, in, in sort of Morrow's office, it, it it delivers. You know, it's not. A, I wasn't bored. It's not a boring film. Um, Cinematography's fantastic. I love the look of it. Yeah, something about. I know maybe I'm just a mug, but if if you do black and white well, I you know I, I do kind of lap it up. If you yeah, kinda, especially yeah. with cigarette smoke. I mean, it must, oh God, yeah, must be the oldest yeah. tricks in the book, but fair play, they work on me. Absolutely. Well, I think they even talked about um, shooting it in uh, kind of like you know one point three three to one, like the old Academy format, yeah. basically you know not widescreen, which was the which was the basic yeah. of its time. You know, the sort of like the, the artist. Yeah, like the artist. Um, and I think in the end they decided that the fact that it was being shot in black and white was probably enough. <laughs> if they'd gone for non widescreen as well, mm. you know, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot in terms of cinema distribution and what have you because not many places are going to want to show a film well, really like th- that unfortunately I think without Clooney this wouldn't have either A been made or B been seen by many people yeah and, um, and to, so to give to give Clooney's due I know he's he's very uh, forthright when it comes to his opinions uh, regarding political things as stuff. you may have seen in the news uh, the last sort of month or so but yeah. um, you know he I know you said you're not a big fan of him as a director. I think he's all right. You know, I think he can tell a story, and there's a lot of directors out there who can't. No, I, th- who, I think he's all yeah. right. I, and I think there's he chooses his actors well. You can. I don't know if that's a, an element because he is an actor, but I like the fact he doesn't necessarily go for for mm. big names, the right name in the right role. Like you no, know, for, for his first film, Confessions, he you know chucked Sam Rockwell in there as a lead actor. Yeah, excellent choice. And seeing David Strathairn, who's you know known mainly as a character actor, I only know him for a few things. Sneakers springs to mind. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but uh, to give him the front and center role, and he, you know, he was excellent. I, I, again, I, I didn't know the history. I don't know who. I, I've never seen footage of who he was playing before. I didn't study the speeches as you had, Mark. But yeah, I thought it was an excellent performance. Yeah. 
So you know, I, I I would recommend it to anyone who's sort of maybe interested in the um, you know in, in what was happening in in America at that time. It's a very imp- important time in America. Just like Phil says, though, just don't don't take it to be a hundred percent completely factually correct. Um, but then any film we know from history, yeah. I mean, you know, you take Braveheart or U five seven one. <laughs> and you know William Wallace never found the Enigma machine <laughs> I don't think it plays fast and loose with facts I just think that the the overall kind of impression it gives is yeah, that, that's, yeah that's is that um, you know this was one man t- or one network taking on McCarthy at a time when McCarthy was virtually unassailable and that's not the case mm. um, if it had been you know a, a lot earlier on then um, th- it would be but um, yeah by this point um <laughs> he was a busted flush. <laughs> <laughs> he was a he was a busted flush at this point. Oh dear. He uh, was a flustered bush. <laughs> flustered bush. Flustered bush. <laughs> yeah, I um, and, uh, I'll, I'll, I think maybe we should have three seconds of silence while people imagine what a flustered bush is. <laughs> I um I reckon uh, folks should seek this out if they're into like I say if you're into things like Mad Men, mm, like yeah, West Wing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or I, there was a film I saw recently actually on a plane uh, called Margin Call which is another kind of hmm. um, sm- smart people talking in rooms film and if you're interested in people who are uh, you know a- acting out jobs I, I know, it, it doesn't sound very interesting but the way he shows oh come on no I mean the number, number of times I've just ate to see someone pretend to be a lathe operator <laughs> um, so you know, there, there, there's enough. of us out there who want to see this kind of thing people. well think think Glengarry Glen Ross they, 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 that's, that's a, a cocksucker <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, do you mean is that a job you'd like to see played out <laughs> well I'm wearing a t-shirt apparently so <laughs> Uh, but it's not like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, but that's you think. Oh, this that's a mundane situation, but they make something dramatic yeah. out of it. It's not, I mean, this isn't anywhere near as good as Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just you know, well acted, well scripted. Yeah. Check it out. Just just don't watch it if you're planning on trying to quit smoking, because um, I think it's like you were saying, Phil. There's something about black and white and yeah, smoking absolutely. on screen yeah, that yeah. just it makes it look. And amazing. that era kind of <laughs> makes it look so sophisticated mm. and healthy. It does well. He's uh, Morrow very famously smoked while, you know, on while, air, yeah. while on air, yeah. and um, they had that they they had that real footage of the advert, didn't they? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Of the, the cigarette. One thing that amazed me about that actually is if that had been me on air with a cigarette when I was smoking, I'd have like left too much ash on the end. It had dripped off on my tie. I'd have kind of been. Had, yeah, yeah. yeah. you end up with that sort of ashy smear yeah, on your yeah, clothes. Yeah, that with him. He was kind of just yeah. He knew, yeah. Oh, well, they knew how to smoke. That's the thing. They knew how to smoke cigarettes in the forties, fifties, and the, and the sixties. They they knew how to do it. It was only it was only once it you know it was discovered that smoking was actually unhealthy for you. That people forgot. Nervous then, yeah, the hands were shaking, and and they started manufacturing cigarettes to be more flaky. The, the ash and <laughs> you know uh, it was just it all went downhill. I know, from it's there. a damn shame, really. Yeah. So that's good night and good luck. Uh, yeah. 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 No! Yeah. I want to no! sm- smoke now. <laughs> I gave up. <laughs> We've all given up, actually, haven't we? Mm. Yes. We're all quitters. I didn't know you had. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we keeping that last bit in about as well, giving up? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm even make... going to keep in the bit where you say, are we keeping that in? I'll put <laughs> that in too. Make, that sound, make us sound worthy. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs.
I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. The optic nerves is actually rather good. So yes, uh, network now. Um, this is oh, I absolutely fucking love this film, but this, that's you know I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, basically, it's about a uh, an anchor man on a, a very powerful uh, network station in America who is uh, told that he's going to be made redundant. He uh, publicly states halfway through a news broadcast that he will commit suicide the following week on live on air. And basically the film centres around the sort of media frenzy this creates, um, how the network uh, sort of abuse him in terms, you know, for ratings. Um, it's actually quite a complex film to sort of d- describe what it's about, but it's, it's really a very satirical take on, uh, on network television. Um, for its time, very forward thinking, but for, for modern day audiences, I actually think it's it's still it's actually very representative of what TV's like now, or at least in my opinion, it is. Um, I don't know the last time we went to Phil first, so Pete, uh, your views on Network? I absolutely love this film as well. I hadn't seen it for a long time actually. I had it on VHS, um, but I'd never bought the DVD. So when you said you're doing it again, I, I guess it's kind of finding the excuse to watch it again. Because yeah. like you say, it's it's quite a complex film. It's not particularly long. It's only about a couple of hours long. But it is, you know, it does sort of go off in different directions. Sometimes you're not entirely sure if it's about um, uh, the Peter Finch character, who is this messianic uh, figure, creation, if you like, by the network, or whether it's about William Holden, who's the kind of washed-up exec who's kind of a bit beaten up by the whole thing, and his relationship with Faye Dunaway, who's the up-and-comer network executive... Uh, but ultimately what you have is a really amazing director mm. Sidney Lumet who did like, some of my favourite films anyway like you know, 12 Angry Men and Dog Day Afternoon and many many others uh, he, you know he just and directing an amazing script by uh, Paddy Chayefsky Paddy Chayefsky who, who also wrote the Altered States novel yeah we did Altered States a few weeks ago yeah. and, and by all accounts was rather ill thought of by Ken Russell for sticking his nose in but hey you can't argue with network script yeah. um, no but ultimately I, I just think this is an excellent film it's it's sort of part part melodrama but I sometimes wonder if the melodrama is kind of being ironic because the Faye Dunaway character is is like I say you've got this she's this up and coming executive and she's the one who sees um, uh, forgive me I've forgotten the character names is, is it um, Howard uh, Peter Finch's character I think so yeah um, she sees Howard essentially having a nervous breakdown and, and at that point the film gets very cynical so she sees how can I exploit this chap who's having a nervous breakdown but is actually saying some things which are going to get the public really riled up uh, but then it sort of descends into kind of like this kind of dramatic arc with the William Holden character, who is um, Howard's best friend and doesn't want to see his friend exploited. But at the same time, he's very, very attracted to Faye Dunaway, so he's kind of torn. So, and then on top of that, you've got evil old Robert Duval. Yeah, uh, yeah, who, who is a complete. Who's just bastard a complete bastard and <laughs> makes no bones about it. There's no, there's no ambiguity to his character. It's just he's a bastard, and he's looking to make money. 
so I know that's a that's a bit of a messy summation, but all those different parts. So it's you know it, it's a cynical view of what television does. It's got human drama. It's got just rousing speeches and you know oh, a lot of rousing speeches. I mean the stuff that that uh, Peter Finch says on camera, you just think yeah yeah <laughs> you, know, no, you totally, want to get up absolutely. off your seat and you want to go to the window. Uh, and the stuff he says around, he, he, he does this big speech which isn't as famous as the one where he opens the window um, but the one when he's talking about television mm. and how people live by the tube and die by the tube and you know they dress like the tube that whole speech as well which yeah. is uh, in his first one of his I thought you were talking about London Underground there at that point <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know taking that context that speech means something very very different <laughs> but um yeah, so again, like I say, a bit a bit frantic in my my kind of thoughts, but all those different parts make up really a perfect a perfect whole perfect whole of a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's amazing. You should if you haven't seen it, you should definitely definitely watch it. Over yeah, to Phil, what did you, what did you film. think? I, I know it's supposed to be a satire, and uh, and by that token that you should expect things to be broad I suppose to some extent but um, I I don't like it at all I'm, I'm kind of I find no one in it convincing and that's not to say that I don't think that the acting is not good but I'll come back to this in a minute but characters who are two dimensional it kind of is manipulative in an extent that isn't engaging which again I'll come back to in a minute mm-hmm. and um I mean, the only kind of performance in it that I find convincing in a kind of realistic sense, I can imagine this person existing in the real world, is Peter Finch, his his character. But, um, yeah, I kind of got very, I don't know if the word is irritated exactly, but um, I, I suppose it was summed up for me, embodied in the in the um, Faye Dunaway character, who's an actress who, the, the modern equivalent of her, I would say, is someone like Nicole Kidman, who technically is brilliant at what they, uh, what she does, but has never ever engaged me on an emotional level as an actress, because oh, no, really? ma- no matter how good her performance is, it's acting, it's mannered, it's um, it it never convinces me. I think there's a moment in this film where she picks up the phone, she's kind of flirting with William Holden's character, and it's a fault of the performance, the director, and the script. But she picks up the phone, she says, because he wants to take her out for dinner, and she says. I won't be home now. I'll see you later. And just puts the phone down straight away. The whole purpose of that is to is to illustrate to you the sort of character she is. Mm. But really, that wouldn't happen. There'd be in, in reality, there's a guy on the other end of the phone going, "Hey, what? Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. What, what are you doing? You just and you know and, and that kind of just these little subtleties really wind me up. And um, I mean, I I think I can I can watch a film where you've got cynic, cynicism. And you we, and you can have two-dimensional characters to an extent, and you can be manipulated, but you believe in the characters, and that's what manipulates you. Whereas in this case, I'm just aware of the kind of director move and the writer moving pieces around, like you know, players on a chessboard or something. Can it? Um, God, it irritates the hell out of me. Network. I I don't like it. But I, I mean, I, I I know I'll never watch it again. Now, I, years ago when I watched it, I kind of didn't. I remember not liking it, but I thought. I was I was a lot younger then. I thought, well, that's you know, it'd be interesting to see it again and see if I do like it. There's a lot about it I couldn't remember. And no, you know, uh, Robert 
Duval with his kind of pantomime, big corporate boss. You know, this is all down to the numbers crap. And um, Faye Dunaway, as I say, you know, I, I, an actress I've not, I, I never not liked exactly, but she's just never, never moved me. You know, there's the there's the, the scene in Chinatown where she gets killed at the end, and um, I'm devastated there for Jake Gittes, not for not for not for Evelyn Mulray and mm-hmm. um, but Bonnie and Clyde. She again, you know, I mean, she's not the most sympathetic character in Bonnie and Clyde. No. It's an excellent performance. Don't get me wrong, but you know, these there are certain actors and actresses who are perfect for certain roles, and she's perfect for the roles she plays in a sense. Um, what about in uh, Nicole Kidman in? Um, in Golden Compass is brilliant because she's cold, she's ice, you know, in To Die For, she's perfect for it. But I think there's something in them as well that kind of, they can't they can't go beyond that as actors or actresses. I, I see what you're saying when there are some actors and actresses who are, they are who they are, which means you can't really look past who they are. Because I saw a film recently with Nicole Goodman called Rabbit Hole, which is a very human drama. And I couldn't quite, I really like the film, but I couldn't get quite get past the fact it was Nicole Kidman it's Nicole Kidman doing drama not a dramatic actress Um, but that's a bit of a segue but I I understand your point about actors and actresses of that type you know I can certainly understand that have to disagree about what you think of the film though because you know I obviously am a big fan well you can't disagree with what I think of the film because it's what I think of the film no okay disagree with your opinion opinion of the film but um, <laughs> Mr. Pedantic Flush over there. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a busty pedantic thing. <laughs> but um, sorry, I, I just looked at something there. But um, yeah, I wanted to say that I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I, I think um, in terms of what it says about television, I think um, we—it's it, kind of depressing in a way as well that we've moved beyond this point. Really, I'm not suggesting that TV executives have ever sanction the death of someone on air but um you know we now kind of live in a in a world where um channel four regularly broadcast documentaries with footage from major disasters or phone calls from the from the um passengers on the planes that were going to crash into the the, the twin towers in new york that kind of thing you know Mm. and they kind of um they they package them as serious documentaries but fundamentally what they're saying is um you know, we here you go. We've got a bit of real life footage here of someone in in genuine peril, or you know, what is the reason for us to want to as human beings? What's why why do we have this response to to this kind of programming? And um, and maybe you know, on that level, uh, network kind of just niggles me because it's it's sort of prescient and true as well. But um, yeah, not, not I'm not a fan of it. I, I'm not. I've never been a, a big fan of the director either. I think Twelve Angry Men is wonderful, but um, other than that, I've always found his, his his stuff a little bit too kind of a little bit too slick, a little bit too clean. Um, the sort of thing where people are kind of um, you know you'll always get a big name drawn into it or cast in it, and um, and you know immediately kind of all hail the great. Sydney Lumet production. You know? <laughs> well, you say that. Starring I mean, Paul Newman or whatever. And not I, I so much of late, though. No, no, not so um, much of late, of course. Well, I say of late. I'm, I mean, He's the, dead, isn't he? Yeah. What I mean is. I said, since he died, his output's been rubbish. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I should uh, temper that with the fact that, I mean, 
you know, he was he was making films up until you know before the devil knows you're dead. Yeah. Um, in two thousand seven, so I think that was two thousand six, two thousand seven, something like that. Uh, but again, that was a film which I liked, but was had those kind of slick, you know. Um, I don't mind slick, you know. I just I, I know I know what you mean. I mean, I I I quite like the style when he does it, and I and I I know the films you mentioned that he done earlier. You know, I like all of these films. Twelve Angry Men is fantastic, and, yeah, and I love Network, obviously. But I know I know exactly what you mean. For it's very hard to kind of pinpoint what it is exactly yeah, about his films, yeah. but it's 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 kind of when you I think I know what you mean when you say slick. You don't mean slick like like how a Michael Bay film is slick. You mean slick in terms oh. of it's got a very rehearsed feel about that's it. That's probably yeah. exactly it. Yeah, that's the that's the. I know, I know, I know, I know what you, so I know mm. exactly what you mean. No, no, go on. Sorry, but I was just saying that's 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 the film style of the fifties and sixties, though. Well, that, that is true. Yeah, and that's kind on of, the whole. That's that was true. his generation. That's kind of where he started out. Uh, the seventies is when the, the the gritty realism started hitting the cinemas. Uh, well, late late sixties really, because you had Night of the Living Dead, Easy Rider, all that. Yeah, stuff. I mean, you, the seventies is when the explosion, you know, yeah. and then then that sort of that kind of slickness, that kind of measured dialogue characterization started to die out, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, but so yeah, that, it is definitely a style, and if you don't take to that style, you're not going to like the film. It's it's partly that, but also, I mean, I think if I could have believed in the characters, you know, we all, there there are plenty of films that, that I think all three of us love. Where we know there's like a, an unfair or an unjust outcome, or the bad guys win or whatever, and um, and but the only reason you can you can still love it is because you, on some level, you you believe in it, you know. Yeah. And I I'm not, I just don't believe in this 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 world, um, and again, you know, technically, just it, it's 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 spot on, but it's soulless, you know, it's empty. If you picked it up and shook it, it just you'd hear a couple of pennies rattling around inside this film, and. Um, so I don't. I mean, I feel I feel bad for the Peter Finch character, but it doesn't go beyond that because I, I don't feel like he's being kind of manipulated by by the characters in the film. I feel like he's being manipulated by a scriptwriter and a director. Okay, if that makes yeah. any sense to you. Yeah. And also, as a man who's coming up to his forty first birthday in July, for William Holden to be banging on and calling himself a middle-aged <laughs> man looking like he did in this film yeah. well if that's the case then I'm fucking turning it in I have to say I really noticed that in that scene they, they repeated that line middle-aged man about yeah, three or four times in that scene it's like, is that supposed to convince us <laughs> is it? maybe he's going to live till he's 180 possibly I don't know yeah. he says middle-aged man three or four times in the space of two three minutes it's like uh, if that works then my busted flush will have convinced people <laughs> Uh, I do, and yeah, and yeah, and Peter Finch. It was his last film as well, wasn't he? he yeah, won, posthumous, he posthumous Oscar. Oscar. Yeah. His first, uh, first, um, yeah. Sorry, I, I was <laughs> first one. The, um, the, no, he wasn't. William he, wasn't. He, was, he was the first. What was he the first to get a posthumous? He was. Oscar? Yeah. Oh right. Okay. And I think William Holden. I can't remember her name. The actress that plays William Holden's wife. She won Best Supporting Actress for Oscar. a performance that lasts. I think Five. it's the shortest performance yeah. that ever won an Oscar. That. Oh, is it? I thought that. Well, I thought that uh, went to Dame, Dame Judy. Judy. No, I think this one um, wow. just beats it. Fair play. Well, yeah, because she's oh. only in two scenes. I think the whole film. And also, um, who was the second actor to get a posthumous Oscar? <sighs> Radio silence <laughs> <laughs> can be edited out while we think. Uh, oh, if that's edited out, then it makes it sound like a really quick answer. Yeah. If we get the answer. Yeah. Well, what I'll do is what, maybe I'll just play the sounds of like you know cats fighting while we think about it, <laughs> <laughs> or wheels turning, or something. Yeah. gears grinding. 
Uh, actually, you know, no, it, was, uh, it was it was Heath Ledger. There was there wasn't another actor got a posthumous Oscar until oh, really? for acting, you know. Of course, it's Heath Ledger. I've forgotten he got the Oscar oh, yeah. to be honest. No, I thought someone I thought someone in between, but no, fair enough. Um, I forgot. I've forgotten about Heath Ledger, actually. which is re- silly, really. But I, I, actually, the reason I didn't know that is because I, it's not because I'm not clever or anything. <laughs> it's because I just didn't. No, it is because I'm not clever. <laughs> uh, the, actually, one thing I noticed: I watched basically I watched Good Night and Good Luck and Network one after the other, and it was quite strange. The first line, one of the first lines in Network was, "I worked with Edward, Edward Murrow in yeah. CBS." <laughs> <laughs> oh, blimey, that's a nice symmetry to it. Yeah. But, Mark, I, do think, you, I do think you. Sorry, I was just going to say I do think you've chosen very well in terms of the uh, as a thematically, you know, um, because on the one hand you've got like the idealized notion with good night, good luck about what TV can do. Yeah. On this one, you've got the the very cynical um, uh, uh, idea of uh, the, the the use or the way that TV and, and people can, can 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 be exploited. And the third one will come on to shortly, of course. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, the way that fits in actually. Um, well, I, I, I video drones TV as it could be used, not necessarily as it will be, but as it could be, it could be used in many ways. I think TV may be as it is, or as we fear it might be. Too, but anyway, your, yeah, your yeah, opinion yeah. on network, network. Um, well, pretty much everything that Pete just said. Yeah, but make it <laughs> make it more, make it better. Make what I said better. Make it more better. Make it make it better. Okay. Yeah, stroke um, it till it purrs. And you said we've had his opinion. Surely we had his opinion. Uh, you kind of yeah, did. He, he kind said of it did. was fucking amazing. But yeah, you know, I mean that, that's some that's meat. That, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, if you want me to rub it till it throbs, then I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's up to you. Blast it until it flushes and. But, well, <laughs> till it, till until it flushes itself. Um, so, for any of the optic nerdlingers out there who listen to this on a regular basis, yeah, uh, both of you, then um, <laughs> yeah. all, I think there's a trio now. <laughs> if they hear you saying "watch this," yeah. and they hear Mark saying "watch this," and they hear me saying "don't watch this," yeah, what are they to do? I don't. Well, you know what? Uh, what well, I think it's. I think it all boils down to whether you like Jingle All the Way or not, listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let, yeah, if you cast your mind back to the Christmas podcast, <laughs> I think there's an element actually because I was I was I listened to two things since we recorded the last podcast. Mm. One was all our podcasts again, actually. So I thought I just poor, I, poor I want to listen to them again and sort of take some pointers, see, see where you know yeah. what we can do differently. And another thing I listened to was this um, podcast um, which Mark Kermo did with Simon Mayo, just an interview. Um, and he was talking about film criticism, and you know, I'm not, you know, we're not, we're not kind of professional film critics or anything. But he's what I think in previous podcasts we've been a bit too objective, and so we we say, you know, I didn't like this film, but hey, you should go and watch it. Basically, just say what you think and let them decide, because criticism by its nature is completely subjective, not objective. That's yeah. kind of Mark Kermo's point, and I absolutely agree. So, you know. I just, we I just say we love it. Just, you say you didn't. Just yeah. suck it up to Mark Kermode. I, just, I, I completely agree with Mark Kermode. He's not listening, Pete. He's not listening. No, well, <laughs> I know he's not listening. Yeah. He's down um, in the pub, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He ain't going to be listening, right? He's down Getting in the pub. fights. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> he's such a. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I'm a bit coolly bumbling when it comes to Mark Kermode. But hey, you were just talking <laughs> said, about how much you love his books. You, you, <laughs> said, you said Mark Kermode. <laughs> Car, car, Mark, car mode. Mark mode. 
Uh, it's all bollocks, really, isn't it? But, um, but my point is, though... No, well, um, no, it's, it's, that's a valid point, but my point would be mm. is that I think you, I think just by cr- critiquing, criticising yeah. film or anything and putting your opinions out there is actually quite an egotistical uh, thing to do. Because what yeah, you're saying, is, what yeah. essentially you're saying to people is, listen to my opinion, it's more important than your own I think no 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 but I think I always say to people you know if someone asks me what I think of a film or an album or whatever I'll always say what I think about it but I will always mm. finish that with but you know what the only way you're going to know whether you should watch it or not or you know it's, it's, it's just watch it just see what you think I, I think people should watch anything even films that I think are totally awful you should still watch I mean Stonehenge Apocalypse awful <laughs> but you know what Watch it because you might like it, and, yeah. I might, and I'll be stopping you from. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, you might have gone off down a whole discourse on the nature of film. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. That's a podcast in itself. And you don't have to. I don't think you have to give that full stop. I think you should just say what you think and let them decide. Because you know, people to can be, watch. To be, to be fair, I think if I think, <laughs> I think you know, you already know what you think about a film called Stonehenge Apocalypse. Yeah, but um, but you should still watch Didn't it. Didn't Roy Walker say it best when he said, to "Just say what you see." Yeah. I thought you were going to say five seconds, here we go. That's another one that's going to alienate anybody who was born after 1990. I know. Well. I, I watch too much Challenge, which kind of repeats old blockbusters and catchphrases, mm. which, which who <laughs> ran out of catchphrases after Series 1, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but basically, me and Mark really love this film. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't like it at all. The guys who are listening can think, well, on previous podcasts, I've tended to agree with Phil a bit more. So, they, you know, yeah. or vice versa. Yeah, that's very true. And if you're on my team, send me an email. <laughs> Come on, we can have these bastards. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are we really going that route? Are we really going to go Team Phil, <laughs> Team Pete? No, no. Well, we we can if you want. I don't. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Is that what is that is that what? We're well, I'm just saying the guys listening can say, hey. Hey, they might say to themselves, hey, hey. wait a minute. <laughs> that groovy love cat saying, saying something really rather dope. Really <laughs> rather dope. Yeah. That, Phil, that Phil's laying down some riffs that I really get my juices flowing, man. Uh, but um, I, I think that's a really interesting point of view, though. So I hope the, 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 the chaps and chapesses are taken on board. Yeah. Well, I just want to point out one of my favourite scenes in Network is uh, is when... Um, Peter Finch's character meets the head of the the networks. You know, Net BT. Net BT. And yeah. it's um, just an absolutely fantastic, very brief but absolutely fantastic performance. I thought, and one of my favourite scenes, uh, you know, of not just of that film but of cinema in general. I just love that. He did that it brilliantly. Scene. Net it, it does. Did it it, you do need to see the whole film to get what that scene means in context because it does link to a very important scene that happens earlier on in the film. But even as such, I just I love that scene. Yeah, he did it scene. beautifully. You <laughs> <laughs> did it beautifully, Ned. Uh, the um, the actually harking back to Good Night, Good Luck as well. The head of the network being Frank Langella. Yes, he's always worth watching as well. Even in that film, he did with Lenny Henry. <laughs> what true identity? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, he still made that film. Christ it was almighty. the only reason the worth worth watching that film yeah. was uh, Frank Langella and that. But yeah, full but, stop. But anyway, yes, and that was Network. <laughs> Okay, so last film to uh, to review for this episode is uh, David Cronenberg's Videodrome, 
a rather tasty little number uh, from the early 80s starring James Woods and uh, Deborah Harry um, about a television executive um, who's on the lookout for something extreme that pushes the boundaries of TV. What he finds uh, may very well destroy him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, without really giving away anything more, because if you've never seen Videodrome, it has to be seen to be believed, I think. Um, uh, Pete, you've got uh, a vowel in your first name. Uh, validate your opinion. Oh, man. I thought you were going to go to Phil first. I feel unprepared. Okay, Phil. You have a, an H in your first name. Uh, long live the new flesh, or, or, or just, you know, bury it. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I've been reading a lot of Raymond Chandler lately actually but th- this is the first time I've watched movie drone uh, video drone movie drone oh, who remembers movie drone oh, the first thought... time I saw video drone I think might have been on God, we are too movie drone this is the been, but this is the OAP um, this is quite <laughs> optic nerds podcast anything else that occurs as we're just wandering off yeah yeah, catchphrase. Hey, <laughs> movie drone. <laughs> anyway, video drone. Yeah, I, I, this was the first time really that I consciously recognised all the um, the, the the noir aspects of video drone. You know, the, the the just this this kind of labyrinthine detective story that opens up, and I've never noticed that before. I've always kind of maybe been too um, bamboozled by the just the surrealism of it and the. Uh, the, the body horror aspects and, and what have you um, so and I, and I found that really interesting you know you follow it in that kind of way and, and that thread um, I, I've never been able to there's something about Videodrome that really kind of gets under my skin and I'm not able to fully articulate what it is I, I properly I, I think it's something about um, you know TV is something that uh, you can articulate a criticism of TV or or a celebration of TV in a film like Good Night, Good Luck, or, yeah. or Network, and it's very, you know, it's very straightforward, in a sense. Whereas this has got a, a message, um, and, and takes an approach to TV that that's far more kind of insidious in a way. Um, I think it's because, in one way, this is the, out of all the three films, this is the one that most clearly kind of illustrates how fully immersed within our, our lives um, television is and we by and large see TV as something to trust and um, we kind of think of that trust as a two way street you know that we think that um, we know what we get from television and we know what we bring to television we yeah. don't we, we turn the television on regardless of what your opinion is in terms of the amount of violence or sex that's on TV these days you always you, you never think you're going to see something on television that, that you shouldn't and what this film does is it brings home the, or it posits the idea that you're going to see something on television that you shouldn't. Mm. And how do you react to that? What do you do with that? Um, and, and that's what... That, that kind of disturbs me. Yeah. Um, and the idea that um, you know this, this thing that we trust is, is, is something malevolent as well is something that's, that's very, very unsettling. Um, I think visually it's just wonderful uh, you know the, the, in all of Cronenberg's films this is kind of the one where I think you know you can you look back on a, in retrospect you look back on a director's career and you can see where he starts to kind of really really fly mm. and um, 
ironically two years three years before he made the fly I think he starts <laughs> to fly with, with Videodrome I think I think this is probably my favourite Cronenberg film it, it's certainly one of his very best this and Dead Ringers really um, and um, it's just got some of the most wonderful imagery in it you know the, the, the video cassette into the stomach yeah um, the, the, I love the scene where the TV kind of the lips yeah, Deborah Harry's yeah. lips sort of, the, the TV screen starts to push out as though they were lips yeah, and he's like caressing yeah. them and everything fantastic yeah, his yeah, head yeah. goes in yeah has it, yeah, yeah he yeah. kind of envelops him doesn't it he's yeah. a, he's a, he was a great choice actually well, James Woods yeah I can imagine when um, David Cronenberg was writing the script he was thinking get me old James Vagina Belly Woods well he's brilliant because um, on, on the I mean James Woods does sleaze really well he, he's not he's he's not an easy actor to like in terms of the characters he plays you know he, yeah. he, but there's just something about this performance and the way it's pitched that you never quite abandon him you know as as, as a lead character you you, you sense that there's something in him worth kind of hanging on to and, and, and staying with, you know, so your sympathies are with him, despite the fact that he's, um, you know, he's a fairly reprehensible, um, you know, he certainly morally would, would fit in oh, yeah. quite happily amongst the, some of the characters of Network. Um, yeah, well, he's Robert Duval essentially, yeah. in it, but uh, he's a, a sleazier broadcaster. He's the Bravo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Because I mean, yeah. the th- I think the first time we see him, obviously he's getting out of bed. You know, the, t- the TV station, wait, you know, the TV wakes him up because he's got this TV on some kind of mm. alarm call, and he's you know he's in his dressing gown, drinking cold coffee, yeah. eating pe- leftover pizza from the night before, looking at black and white photographs of Japanese porn, while getting the pizza sauce smeared on the photographs. So he doesn't really give a shit about it. You know, he kind of makes yeah. a half-assed attempt to wipe it off, and it's kind of just sums up his character perfectly. It's. It's it's kind of you know it's that sort of nasty greasy mm. sort of uh, and but like you say he's, he's also at the same time you want him to you know you want him to come through this mm. you know unscathed if you like yeah well, is it, I, I think, do and it, uh, uh, the um, I suppose really it, it's in terms of it's after three films we talked about I think this is one this one is the most accurate in one sense and that is. The extent to which t- TV is bound up in all our lives, you mm. know, um, it, it, it on a on a kind of primal or profound level, it seems to me that th- this film um, conveys that far more um, far more so than Network or, or Good Night, Good Luck, and maybe it's you know that's not the that isn't the the rationale of those other two films, but um, I mean this film as well. I, I think essentially it's about. You know, will TV become is TV the, the the ruination or or the salvation of us? You know, as 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 consumers or as mm. as viewers, and that's an idea that I think is 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 a very challenging one. And um, and there's no easy answers in this film. You know, I mean, the way it ends um, is fairly ambiguous, and uh, it's but it, it's it's wonderful. It, but I just find it so difficult to articulate accurately what what it makes me um, how it makes me feel, but. Uh, it's, it's a challenge. Like, it's a challenging film, I think, and, I, and I, mm. that's one of its strengths. I believe. Mm, absolutely. Um, but you're right, Phil. It is really difficult to articulate. Yeah. Oh, hell, it's hard to articulate what it's even about. <laughs> but because we have the egos of people who wish to speak about films exactly. and make people listen to us, mm. listen subjectively, then we, right. we must we must attempt to articulate these things. Yeah, and it's funny you say in your explanation of that film, it makes me think uh, of what. 
the speech we were talking about in the previous film network about when uh, Peter Finch's character is saying we've become manipulated by the television. Yeah. And that's essentially is kind of what's happening to James Wood's character. He's becoming hypnotized and becomes a puppet because of what he's watching. And but it's the nature of what he's watching which makes that so disturbing. But I don't know if there's, it's... Um, there's also hints in Videodrome that maybe what's happening to him is a good thing. That this is the evolution of mankind and this and yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a way of protecting mankind mm. from people who wish to do us harm. So it's a kind of... But it's a different... But like you say, Phil, it's very ambiguous. It, well, yeah, you've got that notion that, you know, the, the, the people... Um, you, would, you would just eliminate the people who, who would do us harm by yeah. with the growth of this, this tumour as a response to seeing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, no. And I... It's an interesting take because obviously, what was it, 82, 83? 83, 83, 83 yeah. When, you know, the the whole video revolution was just coming to the fore and uh, and the way video is depicted is obviously this kind of pulsating <laughs> monster that will envelop you. And, uh, and I'm just wondering if there was a nervousness on the part of the director <laughs> as to where what this video revolution was going to do to cinema as well. I mean, I don't know what his uh, inspiration behind the story well, the, was. Well, there was. I mean, at the time, there was a massive uh, talk about you know whether this was going to destroy cinema because people wouldn't go out. It's, it's basically what's happening now with DVD and Blu-ray. You know, people would rather stay at home and watch films than go to the cinema. And yeah, exactly. Uh, the difference was is that now technology is caught up where the quality is good enough when you're if you've got the right setup at home it is almost cinema quality whereas back then video was it's nowhere near cinema yeah, quality yeah. but obviously you had piracy and there, there was a lot of anyway i don't want to turn this into a history lesson but yeah there was a there That's was right. a lot of issues back then you know with you know um, videos at home and, and there was obviously the whole video nasty case where there were there was no in england anyway or the uk there was no certificate system for, for home video releases which means you could release anything on video uncut that the BBFC could, or you know, the the board of censorship at that time couldn't touch. Yeah. Um, so obviously there, there is all of that as well. I don't know if they had the same situation in Canada because obviously it was a video drone being a Canadian film and David Cronenberg being Canadian. Yeah. I don't I don't know what the story is there, but there was definitely a fear of video at that time for for, for you know for Hollywood because it was mm. an unknown. Thing, you know, I think it's the most relevant film of the three we've looked at in today. Still, I think it's relevant. It, it's 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 the idea that the question to what extent will can our lives be lived through television um, and be be kind of controlled or or uh, subsumed within television? Um, it is. I think that 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 idea and that that theme or question is is. Um, Probably stronger now than perhaps it even was then. You know, well, you can get you can get applications now. I'm not going to name them um, for fear of people saying that we're advertising their product. But there is there is there are applications now um, where basically it makes your TV far more interactive. Where if you see an advert for something on TV that you think, oh, I wouldn't mind that, you can order it online or you know straight away. Mm. Um, and it's kind of gotten to that stage now where TV will do almost anything for you it's getting there it, you know it's actually getting there well I would say it's there already because I mean there are purists who will always want to have a laptop and or something that, or a computer a standalone computer that they want to go to but if you if you're not that fast your, your TV your internet television with your PS3 and Blu-ray or Xbox or whatever with your streaming services 
that's that's your center that's your center of everything you can yeah. do your shopping you can do your tv watching you can do all your game playing you can do all your dvd or blu-ray watching all in one place but i think i'm going to take you to task on one thing you said phil don't take me to task i won't take you to task disagree or not disagree actually um agree but <laughs> you mean the opposite <laughs> agree but disagree <laughs> all right okay let me just put this in plain terms, right? <laughs> uh, you said this is the most relevant of all the films. Mm. I actually think there's an element to network as well where the the public these days, they need, they need a story, they need a narrative to make news bearable, watchable, readable. Yeah. Uh, they need a drama to make it interesting. And I think Videodrome absolutely does that, but I also think Network does that as well, as successfully. That, but that was the only thing. Okay. I think you would. I think if you like Network, you would probably recognise that more readily. Mm. Um, I, I just thought in in Network, um, I, I, it was perhaps more. Well, certainly I don't doubt it was more groundbreaking at the time actually than it is now, because largely, as we said earlier. Some of this stuff, to the degree, has come to pass anyway. But um, I mean, I don't find it as kind of uh, shocking, perhaps, as it, it, it's maybe intended to be. Or yeah, um, we were talking about network. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just. To... that's fine. It was just. It was just that 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 point. But I mean, I don't. Well, no, I, I, like I, I say, I don't disagree with what you say about video game. And actually, this is my favourite of the three, the three films we've. We're yeah, reviewing. same, same here. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because the, the reason I chose these three films, I'd like say, was to do with the the power of TV, what it represented back in the day in in its infancy. You've got Good Night and Good Luck. I believe that Network kind of shows how TV is now. It, I mean, you've got this whole, you know, Network is about. If you boil it right down, it's about a man who's, you know, mentally ill, who has a nervous breakdown live on TV, and the net, you know, the the, the networks um, take advantage of this and and broadcast his. You know, schizophrenic, paranoid ramblings. Um, but the for thing their own... is, though, I, d I don't think that. I, I think you're right up to a point, but I don't think that network is how it is now, to to the extent that there are people in in rooms and offices who control this stuff, who kind of are consciously kind of manipulating mm. TV and making TV in this way. I just think the culture has been created, and this is where video drama is perhaps more relevant, where it's kind of an organic growth an evolution of, of, of programming where this kind of stuff goes out and is made by good people and people with good intentions you know they're not Robert Duval or Faye Dunaway so, sort of saying you know sitting there kind of eagerly sort of you yeah. know with, with a kind of lopsided grin on the face when he says something that's a little bit controversial and just rubbing their hands thinking of all the green this is going to make them all the viewing figures coming in and, and that's kind of what's saddest really about the 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 worser um, the worst aspects and the more baser aspects of television that the way it's evolved it, today is that um, you know I, I don't you, th you think it's us as a, as a society that's sort of saying it's given we take, want it's to like, see we want to well, see to an extent it's consumers saying I I want to see this but um, you know say something like uh, I don't know um, Big Brother or these documentaries I was referring to that Channel Four mm. do um, where on the one hand they take a really sensitive approach to a a very difficult subject about you know people 
with deformities who are dating, for example, but then they go and call it the undateables because that's what you need. You need to hold up the the, the freak show banner yeah. to get people roll up, roll up. You know the, that thing about the, the the little boy who had the the mole, the huge mole, mm. that kind of disfigured him. Mm. So it was like um, a huge growth all the way around him, but it was called Turtle Boy. You know, that, which is kind of like you know again, it's the. I mean, yeah. I think Mitchell and Webb did a very sort of telling sketch on this it was called the, the boy with an arse for a face if you remember which is, which basically just kind of sums up yeah, yeah, yeah. you know in a nutshell what, what they're sort of like you say it's that whole sort of freak yeah. show mentality and you watch it and it's done it, it, the programmes are done as you would hope they would be the approach is it's sensitive and it's and and it's kind of touching and moving but not overly sentimental it, it's nine times out of ten they do it they do it as, as well as you could hope that these sort of subjects yeah. would be dealt with but it's that it's the way they brand them and market them and and kind of wave you know wave the the hoarding in your face if you like to get you to watch it. That's and as I say, this yeah. isn't evil people or, or nasty people doing this. This is just the culture, the way it's evolved. I mean, so well because it's this whole sort of exploitive sort of nature to it, uh, which is the sort of the, the thing I was getting at with network. But you you do have that. You you have that with you know Celebrity Big Brother, the, these sort of reality TV programs where you see members of the public or celebrities or whoever it doesn't really matter whether the celebrities are members of the public just you know an average joe blogs or whatever having you know nervous breakdowns on tv d- doing things that they might not necessarily do mm. they were down the pub wanking off pigs that kind of shit yeah. and it just sort of gets sort of smacks to me that i'm um, okay you're right I, I don't see i think it's a mixture of the two i think on the one hand you've got these sort of ex- tv executives rubbing their hands going you know she's she's wanked off a pig we you know we can make money from this and we can we can exploit this but I think you then also have the audience who are watching this and thinking, fantastic, look, you know, and texting people, look what I just saw on TV and people watch it. So I think, whereas I think net, I think we're all to blame to some extent, you know. And does the, 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 the TV executives are making these programmes because people are watching it. I think it's a double-edged sword. That's, and also you know, there's an aspect now to television that these programmes, not even um, the most recent of, well, Good night, good luck. It's a historical thing, anyway. But um, only recently is is kind of grown, but emerged. But it, it's huge now. Is the fact that we all watch television together, in the sense of social networking, you know, and um, Black Mirror kind of skewered that perfectly with the thing, yeah. like, um, the the national anthem episode, mm. where um, you know people are people are really kind of they're disgusted and kind of they're still human. Their reaction is a very human one to what they're seeing but um, the, the course of events is dictated by um, people in power looking at kind of a constant stream of comments and acting accordingly you know so it's kind of the way we feed um, the, the, the viewer feeds their response back to the people who, who create what we consume and it's just, just this huge kind of horrible sort of uh, wheel of uh, yeah. yeah, well, you can't blame the executives if the if the public but are demanding. What, that's it. what I mean when it when yeah. I talk about it not being kind of you know these kind of yeah. monsters who sit there cackling, saying you know this is uh, this is this is great. We yeah. get we get it. Uh, it it's not that it's it's fundamentally it's kind of decent people who who kind of just we 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 don't ask. We've we've quoted Jeff Goldblum many times mm. in. Um, Jurassic Park. They were so busy, obsessed <laughs> with the, the, the fact that they could, yeah. that they never stopped to ask themselves whether they should. And that's actually the what good night and good luck 
um, that was the question they put. That's that was the that's crux the, of the his speech. That's Edmonton Armour's speech. We could give them what they want, but should we? And we are where we are, chaps. It's, it's getting that way, and so I suppose in in the way that network may or may not arguably could be how TV is. Videodrome certainly is seems to be pointing the direction. Well, I think it could be that TV actually does become harmful in its own way. I mean, the, the amount of times recently in the last sort of eight years where we've had, you know, um, TV channels like, you know, Fox News being accused of covering up war atrocities in Iraq or Afghanistan. Absolutely. Um, BBC News, yeah. all the problems they've had, you know, the, the last few years with that, you know, that, that got, uh, you know, I'm not going to go through it all, but the, you uh, know. Uh, and when you look at things like YouTube, which of these films is most relevant in that sense, you know, you've got yeah. people, I remember um, being horrified one day in work when when somebody handed me his mobile phone and said, oh, watch this, it's disgusting. And I took it off him and said, what is it? And he said, it's the beheading of Ken Bigley. Ch- just chucked it back at him straight away, said, I don't want to see it. But, you know, that. Well, it's basically rubbernecking, isn't it? Uh, but just rubbernecking on a grander scale. So, unless uh, instead of driving by an accident, you're it's a, it's in the palm of your hand. You can show it to your friends on on your tablet, on your iPhone, or, or whatever you've got. Well, I think I think there is a a, a sort of natural um, curiosity when it comes to things like that. But it's one thing driving past an accident and slowing down to have a look, which I, I think most, not all, but most people will do. I think it's another to actually go around showing video footage of. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's a natural progression of that. That I guess is my point. Yeah, but it's like this whole, you know, when Saddam Hussein was hung and there was that the video went around of that. Mm. Um, is that something you, you want to see or have to see? I, mean, I suppose you could say the same about the TV programs that are shown on TV. You don't, you know, if you don't, I don't like any of these sort of um, reality TV programs. Or at least ninety-five percent of them, I dislike. Uh, so I just don't watch them. But does that mean that you know that there's an awful lot of them on TV? Yeah, there's an there's an audience for that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it's weird that the growth of media and television is such that now, even though we've got all this sort of stuff on television, which, like you say, Phil, has to have that hook, which you know kind of it feels a bit weird, a bit wrong how they, how they hook people in. But at the same time, narrative television. You know, it's amazing right now that you know the the quality of television you've got for for people like us, people like us who like stories. You know, like HBO and yeah, but, you know. but, but that's yeah, but that's the other thing. I mean, where is that stuff mostly coming from? Yeah, they may use a lot of British talent, but it is coming from places like HBO. We're not making it. A lot of this stuff we're not making. Are you, British specifically. Yeah, I'm just I'm just talking about uh, well TV in general, but I but I also mean we seem to be spending a lot of money on doing the next X Factor, whereas at least you've got places you know you've got channels like HBO who are funding yeah. these amazing t- you know television programs. We just don't seem to be doing as much of it in Britain. Oh no, I completely agree with that. Yes, I mean when I said the wider media, I meant I mean that that is largely US. Yeah. I mean I I don't watch an awful lot an awful lot of British television. Uh, I think there's probably a reason for that. But you know, I couldn't. It's because you're um, Slovakian, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't understand a word there, so. Uh, but I, but I, there's a lot. There must be a lot of UK narrative uh, programs. I think you told me you, you're quite into Luther, and you know, there's things that I'm not seeing, which are, you know, it might be getting better, but I, I'm not exposed to it. Yeah, I was quite into Luther. Got a bit silly. 
Yeah. So it seems to me that the the, the really great television right now, narrative television, is coming out of the US. Yeah. I'm, but I'm happy to be proved wrong if anyone's got suggestions. Oh, well, you know, Emma Dale's all right. <laughs> we should definitely do the bill in the next podcast. Well, that finished ages ago. <laughs> well, yeah. In which case, we have a finite arc. Oh, a bill retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> Seasons one to fifty-three, <laughs> or however long it went on for. Not not that long. But um, going back to video drone, Christ. Are we, yeah, what, uh, I, I do think actually, um, you know, take me out or whatever the fuck it's called, and uh, things like X Factor would be a lot more interesting if it had special makeup effects by Rick Baker. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, I mean, what brilliant effects as well. You should definitely um, seek out the uncut version. It do, I, I, you know, we're we're geeks. We like to see uncut. I think if you see the R-rated edition, which is available in the UK, it doesn't change the tone. Or the, or, the sto- or the story, or the story of the film yeah, at yeah. all, but you get a bit more of that cool Rick Baker gore if you get the uncut version. From a bit, bit more of the um, sort of sadomasochistic violence as well, <laughs> uh, you know, with uh, James Woods and Deborah Harry. Yes, goes on a little bit longer, a little bit more explicit. If you like that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, basically, love Cronenberg, love Videodrome. Is it his favourite? Is it my favourite film of his? I'm not sure. I'd have to do a bit of a retrospective. It's, it's, it's a difficult one because mm. I think I kind of most made so many good films. Uh, you know, The Fly is fantastic. I love uh, Scanners. Uh, Shivers is very good. Mm. Um, History of Violence. Well, I was going to say Spider. His, his latest Easter Promises. Yeah, his latest <laughs> stuff. On, I really. I mean, History of Violence particularly. I, I really, really like. Did, I'd, I'd like to see I, you mentioned it earlier Dead Ringers actually which I've not seen since it mm. first came out and I'd love to watch that again Brilliant. yeah yeah. Jeremy's Iron it has got Jeremy's Iron in it <laughs> but uh, yeah sorry um, little Simpsons reference there but I think that might be one that the, the, the listeners all you know three of them don't have to worry about a hearty recommendation from uh, thrice yes a, yes a, a trio of likes a trio of likes brilliant <laughs> A trilogy of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> and before anybody goes thinking, oh, hang on, they've been talking about sadomasochistic scenes here, extended, you want to see that. But then they've been saying, why would you want to see this when it comes to real-life footage of beheadings? One's real, one's fantasy. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the love of gore comes from just, I don't know, Rick Baker is an artist. You want to get as much of his shit in there as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah, I think there is something to be said about you know, and again, this is I know we say this a lot, and this is a this is a topic for a whole other podcast. Uh, people always sort of, especially when I was younger, people always say, "Oh, how can you watch that stuff? You're, you're sick, you know. You can, you know, that's disgusting. And how can you want to watch that kind of stuff?" And I'm talking about fictional films here, not not you know, actual footage of real deaths. And I guess it's maybe because I, I don't want to see real footage of, of deaths. But even if there, there are those films, there are those mm. films where they are just purely almost just scenes of torture and violence or whatever. You're not yeah. particularly interested in watching those, are you? you, you so to be need, fair, I'm not. You need yeah. the drama. You need the story. You need you need something to kind of um, carry you along and, and, and make make the yeah. journey worthwhile. You know, which is yeah. why I'd much rather watch, for example, uh, I'd much rather see The Loved Ones than I would Hostel. Mm. They're both kind of torture films, but one has a heart and a story, and the other one is hostile. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's not to say I don't like hostile. I don't like hostile, but um, <laughs> but what I mean is it's you know 
uh, yeah watch the loved ones instead that's much better yeah, but yeah. anyway so yeah so that was video, that was video yeah we did uh, we actually talk about the film at i all can't remember we did a little bit <laughs> i think little we bit, did yeah. I actually and i was gonna i was gonna bring you back something that feels so which i think was brilliant and uh oh that's not me saying what was brilliant, by the way. <laughs> that's just, that's, uh, that's that's just Charlie Brown's dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's running for a particular mayoral election. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, something that Phil said, which really struck a chord with me, actually, is something that I hadn't sort of... God damn it. Can you hear that? Can you hear it through? You can hear it. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm not going to edit that out. I just think, you know, at the end of the day... Um, we're live. Uh, yeah, yeah, anything could happen. Yeah, any, oh, yeah. it's a duck. <laughs> Massive duck just came in. But, uh, Someone's pooed on the floor. Oh, that was yeah. to it's me. It's Cracker Jack. I've been gunked. <laughs> uh, we do like our 1980s. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we need to... We need to we, we're cutting off a whole generation of people here. Yeah, anyone who didn't but grow most up of the, in the Most 80s. of the people I work with were born in the late 80s. I, I was like in the my teens. In the late 80s. Please say what it was that I said that you really liked. Yeah, sorry. It was putting it, it, was putting it in a context um, through which you're, you're reading something at the moment. Because you, you, you're reading Raymond Chandler, who I fucking love as well, actually. And you sort of saw the noir aspect to Video Joe, which I hadn't, I hadn't really picked up on. I picked up on the fact there is a there is a story there which is... You know, there are some clandestine things going on, yeah. things you're not quite sure. People who aren't who they say they are. And a woman in trouble is always the, you know... Yeah, when, you know, the, and the red dress. and uh, But the, 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 real, the real noir aspect, kind of the Chandler-esque, um, I really like that kind of observation. And I, I can see why it's particularly apparent when you, you've been in that world quite mm. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to sort of pick him up. No, no, point, no. Yeah. It's, you know what? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I think that, it's, it's a... It's a it's an intriguing way to, you know, if you've seen Videodrome a lot of times and that's some that's something you've never picked up on before, it's a, it would be a really interesting way of watching the film again, I think, well, is to uh, watch it in that with that frame of mind. You yeah, know? That, I mean, it's the last thing I'll say, but that's part of the reason why Videodrome is so good is the number of times I've seen it now and yet I come back to it and, and I'll see something else every time. Yeah, yeah brilliant, absolutely. brilliant. Well, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a good time to wrap it up, gentlemen. Uh, all I can say is really, if you have, as ever, any questions, any comments, uh, if you have some films or some ideas of, of, of something you would like us to watch and review, um, if you want to tell us to, you know, please stop reviewing films, anything, anything you fancy, just, you know, drop us an email. Uh, it's mum. Uh, no, that's my email address. I'm going to give you that. It's. Um, it's uh, yeah. No, it's you not, said it's mum. mum. <laughs> it's not mum. It's it's the start. Email my mum. Email my mum. She'll give you mum, 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 mum. <laughs> On um, opticnerds at hotmail.co.uk. It's uh, it's my mum who, she's the web mistress. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes her sound like a spider queen, <laughs> or something. So email our spider queen. Um, spider or you queen can at... you can twat us on. Twitter we are. On... Uh, we're, we, if you like to twat, we're it's... on Twitter. Uh, we're at hop at, at hop. <laughs> we're at the hop. We're at at the optic nerds. Um, yeah, and I do tweet from time to time random observations. So if you do read, I should say this actually. If you do read our tweets, I am the optic nerds tweeter. So don't think any opinions. I throw out there are necessarily the opinions of all three of us. I although, say that although sometimes me and Phil will throw the occasional tweet out there, but it's basically you. if you're going to tweet directly to the optic nerds, don't say something like 
I think Phil's great, but that Pete's a bit of a knob, isn't yeah. he? Because it's going to be Pete you're tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be better off sending that email to opticnerds Because the webmistress uh, takes care of that. <laughs> and that's my mom. Um, I, the reason I also... I wanted to stipulate that as well, because I've checked out a few tweets recently about films I liked and enjoyed watching. Um, that's my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I agree with everything you've said so far. Oh, actually. thank you. Thank Apart you. from network. No, oh, do you mean on, 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 on Twitter? Twitter. Twitter. I think I at one point said I, how much I loved real steel, so um, you know, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Forgot about that. Yeah, but hey, no, there you go. Fair enough. All right, so yeah, so uh, yeah, so it just leaves for me to say goodbye, uh, gentlemen. Goodbye. Goodbye. And boring you. See you next time. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't talk about what we're going to review next. Oh. Well, as, as I was chairing this one and, and uh, the Power TV and everything was sort of the, my idea, Pete is chairing the next one. And so, Pete, what, what's your idea for... What films will we be watching and reviewing for the next podcast? Uh, my idea is I've decided to uh, take a rather skew-whiff, an off-centre look. Skew-whiff? Yes. <laughs> look at films. Um, because cause I tend to be uh, a fan of the, the odd. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, the route of choosing three films which I think are just a little bit strange, a little bit quirky, thought uh, we all might enjoy, or not. And may God have mercy <laughs> on our souls. Indeed. And what are those three films? The, the three films we are watching are... We are watching La Planète Sauvage. Sauvage. Fantastic Planet, uh, the English uh, version. That's 1970s <laughs> French animation, so try and contain your excitement. Indeed. Well, French Ch- uh, Czechoslovakian. Of yep. course, co-production. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and that's um, and we'll also be doing uh, Forbidden Zone, directed by uh, Richard Elfman. That was made in nineteen seventy. I thought it was eighty. No, it wasn't. I it was eighties. <laughs> yeah, it was eighty. Yeah. Early eighties. I can't remember. Um, and the other thing we're doing is uh, the Baby, directed by Dead Post. That was nineteen seventy-three. Okay. Um, alongside a Fantastic Planet. Um, so three rather rather interesting, rather quirky films, and. Let's ch- check it out next time to hear what we think of those. Okay. So I shall bid you all adieu. Bon voyage. Yeah. Uh, ciao. Ciao's good. Yeah. Ciao, Bella. Bye. Cue music. Gosh. We still need to figure out a way of ending these. <laughs>